little bit about myself. Um, uh, we are from the South. Amy and I met in Atlanta, um, and we've been married for 29 years, coming up on 29 years. And um, we have had, uh, we've lived all over. We have 11 children, and um, the Lord has really blessed us in that way. Uh, we thought for the longest time that you get pregnant and you have a kid. That happened for us nine times. And, uh, and then the tenth time, um, we lost a, a child. And the eleventh time, and we had miscarriage after miscarriage and thought that the Lord was done with um, that part of our life. And then we got pregnant again and um, had a little boy who uh, we named Creed because we believe and we just trust the Lord, you know, that God's going to work in us and through us, and we're very thankful. And then we got pregnant a number more times um, and uh, uh, didn't have any children, and so we thought maybe this is it, uh, miscarriage after miscarriage. And then we got pregnant again, and Amy started buying girls' clothes because she's funny like that. And it turned out to be a girl. And so our, our last child is a little girl named Blessing, uh, Blessing Amelia. And she's a blessing to us for real. But the Lord used um, those times. He used the time of blessing where we would get pregnant and have kids. And just, I mean, that's a, a shocking thing. We always said we're going to have as many kids as God gives us. But we didn't think that that's what it meant, right? Because... Not everybody has a million kids, and so um, we were just like, you know, how many? And we are like, I don't know, as many as the Lord gives us. Oh, I guess that means seven. Oh, I guess that means eight. Oh, I guess it means nine, right? And we were blessed by the Lord in that, to see and to understand that um, He has provided for us above and beyond. As a pastor, you know, it's hard to figure where the money has come from all these years because... It's a big deal, right? Now I've got kids that are moving out, and it's like I get a raise, right? I've got <laughs> two boys, a 16-year-old and an 18-year-old that are doing commercial fishing in Alaska this summer, and uh, they ate a lot. We have, we have stuff in our refrigerator still, right? Um, but that's been a blessing to see the way the Lord has worked in us um, through those times and then through the times of tragedy um, where our hearts were ripped out of us and we were crushed and despairing. I have uh, had a number of things in my life that uh, were pretty big accomplishments. Uh, I remember the day that I attained my fourth degree as a black belt, as a martial artist in Hapkido. I, I thought I was the stuff. I really thought I was impressive. And um, I remember thinking that um, I had reached the pinnacle of the studies with, with, uh, with this gentleman, and yet my heart was so dissatisfied my heart was so empty. I had done everything I physically could do, and yet, in the end, I was no more of a better person than I was when I started. And so, there was this, I don't know, this despair. Today, the passage that um, I want us to look at is in Galatians chapter 2, and it's verse 20, and it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, 
but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Ah, the Gospel in the book of Galatians. The second accomplishment that I want us to see today is justification. What did Christ accomplish on the cross? It was justification. And its result is our righteousness. Now that's not in your notes, but you can just write it down there. What Christ accomplished in the Gospel is our justification. He made us right with God. And the result of that in the Gospel is our righteousness. Practically speaking, it's His righteousness in us. And I know that as I lived my life, I was full of me, right? It was, I have crucified everybody else to my life. Everything that anybody else did, I looked at it through the filter of what can I get out of it? How can that help me? How can I benefit myself? How can I further my reputation? And that just led to death. Death, death, death. Until I met Christ. And I don't have time to go through all of my testimony because it's really not important. What is important is there, became a, there was a moment in my life where I saw clearly that I had nothing to offer. I had nothing in myself that was any benefit because every time I touched something, I was, I was like Midas, but it wasn't a golden touch. It was a terrible thing. It was a sewage touch. It was, it was a nasty touch. Whatever I touched seemed to mold and rust and decay. And I remember when Christ saved me, when I met what life really is, and this verse took on power. And so today I want us to see four things about this passage and about the gospel. The gospel is about real death. If you're taking notes, the gospel is about real death. That's very sobering to me. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. I have been crucified. What, when Paul writes this, he's writing about a very real thing. Remember, the gospel for him was that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. When Paul talks about the cross, he always emphasizes the reality, the historic truth of the fact that one day there was a man who was beaten stripped, humiliated, laid onto a piece of wood, nailed, connected brutally, violently to that wood. That wood was then lifted up and he died on the cross. So for Paul, when he speaks of the crucifixion, he's speaking of a very real death. This is not theoretical. This isn't some spiritual kind of thing that, that somehow or other you need to find your inner self and die to it. He says, I have been crucified 
with Christ. Now, salvation is deliverance, right, from this sinful life. It's deliverance. It's being removed from the sinful life. And the way God does that is through death, by killing us. Paul says this. He says, put to death the sin that is in your members. It's a very real thing. And so the gospel is about real, real death. And that's why we talked about earlier, the wages of sin is what? It is death. It is given man once to die. And we all will do this. And it's for my sins, right? Not in a general sense, but for my sins. And salvation is a real activity or a real reality. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. When we hear the Gospel for the first time, when we trust Him and we trust His death for our forgiveness, we become active participants in the crucifixion. We die. We die. Way too often we view this in a hypothetical way that Jesus died on the cross for sins, but for Paul and for you and I, it's way more than that. Our life is over. We're, what does John say? Born again. Right? In Him was life. And so the reality of the Gospel is, is in a very real way, at salvation, when we're born again, our blood flows in a very real way. I have been crucified. Our hands are pierced. Our feet are nailed. Our side is speared. Our crown of thorns. Our cross. Our sins. Now I want you to think about that. I, I, I'm close to blasphemy, I know. I'm close to heresy. I know I'm close there. But the substitutionary atonement is very close to this. When Christ died on the cross, it was exactly as if we were dying on the cross. Think about that. So close is it that when he died on the cross for Paul, Paul could say, because Christ was actually in my place, receiving my punishment for my sin, it is as if I was crucified. Praise God! The Gospel is about a real death. I have been crucified with Christ. Wow. I just want to spend a minute thinking about this. Oh, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord! Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. I have been crucified with Christ. As we think this morning about the benefits of the Gospel, we rest on the fact that the Gospel is about a real death. Hallelujah. Praise Yahweh. But not only is it about a real death, I don't think we think about that enough, but it's also about a real deliverance. 
It is about a real deliverance. He says this. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. Think about that. It is no longer I who live. We really do die. Our life has been taken. I mean, it is as if we did actually die. We're no longer alive, but Christ is alive within us. The gospel is about a real deliverance. If someone died in our place, he would certainly get the credit And in a very real way, it would be his life. And that's what Paul is saying here. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live. If you're coming to me and telling me I have to do all of these things to make my life right with God, and I would look and say, wait, I can't make anything right with God. Jesus already did all of that. It is no longer I who live. Right? So when the Galatians are coming to them and saying, your life needs to look like this, and 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 Paul looks back at them and says, wait a minute, this isn't about my life. I died. I'm dead. This is all about Christ's life. It is no longer I who live. And I don't know about you, but that is a shocking thing for me. This arrogant, vain, prideful man to be admitting. Because, to be honest, I want it to all be about me. All the time. I'm the only point of reference I have for my feelings. And if you step on them, I get bent out of shape. Right? If you say something bad about me, I get offended. It's all about me. It's all about what I want and what I think. And that's the problem. And Paul says this. Galatians, listen. You died. You died. This isn't about you. This isn't about your opinion. It's not about your preference. The gospel is that I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. There's a real deliverance. When Christ saves us, He saves us. We're saved. Our entire identity changed. Our hearts replaced. Our minds are renewed. Our lives are transformed. Why? Because we've been delivered for real. For real. I hear hear people and, man, I, I look back on sharing the gospel. I grew up as a Southern Baptist and every Tuesday night we would have our witnessing uh, visits. So we would come into the church and we would get little green cards with names on them and addresses and envelopes where we would go and mark and the map was there. Then we'd go out and we'd share the gospel. And I didn't know really what I was doing, but I was really passionate about it. And um, 
And so I would share the gospel, and the gospel I shared was that they needed to get their life right because it'd be so much better with Jesus. Oh, get your life right, and it'll be so much better if you do it with Jesus. Just come to Jesus, and, and you'll be happy. Are you sad? Because if you know Jesus, you won't be sad. Are you worried? If you come to Jesus, you won't be worried. Are you angry? If you come to Jesus, you won't be angry anymore. I don't know where I got that from. I don't, I'm, I was like, I mean, I'm, I'm embarrassed to admit it because that's not how Paul talks about it. Paul says you come to Jesus and you won't exist anymore. You come to Christ and He becomes everything. He gave Himself for your sins. It is no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. And all of a sudden, I could see as, as I began to, to be discipled and, and people began to walk with me and show me who Jesus is, that began to make more and more sense. Jesus Christ is preeminently the most amazing being that we could ever hope or imagine to meet. And it is, it is an incredible truth that He would live in me, that it would no longer be about who I am, but it would all be about the greatest being in existence. And that's the Gospel. The Gospel is that Christ will take us from the grave and make us alive together with Him. What? That's one of the great Old Testament promises. That we would be with God. The Gospel is about a real deliverance. I made a note here as I was thinking about it, not to get too carried away. I tend to get carried away. But I wrote down here, at this point I want to encourage everyone to think about this kind of thing in their own lives. Is this true of you? Is this true of you? Have you died? Are you still living? Have you been saved? Have you been born again? Can you say... I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. Or are there still these areas of your life that you have not repented of? You have not turned from. You're still trusting in. I want to challenge you to think you need a real deliverance. Gentlemen, I don't want to pick too much on gentlemen, but I'm going to right now because we have a tendency, guys, Everybody thinks that we're to be self-sufficient. They look to us to fix things, or even when they don't. My wife asks me a question, I try to fix it, and she's like, I just wanted to listen. But I'm wired to fix things. Sometimes, gentlemen, that gets in the way. Sometimes, gentlemen, that, that causes us to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think and not to, to think soberly. We feel like all the expectations are resting on us. If we don't fix it, if we don't figure it, if we don't do it, it won't get done. Gentlemen, the reality of what the Gospel is is this. Get over ourselves. We can never make it right. I hate to think of the burden I've placed on my sons. I have six of them. And I remember when they were little, I used to tell them how great I was at wrestling. I used to talk about how great I was at running track. You know, the older you get, the greater you are anyway, right? <laughs> but now that my sons are starting to work out themselves 
and they're starting to do things on their own, I've given them a terrible idol. Dad, how, how many miles did you run a day? Dad, how, how, many, how much weight did you lift? What, what did you do? And now they're setting these ridiculous goals for themselves because they think that's where their approval comes from, from me. And I've done a terrible disservice for these young men. I wish I'd have been more humble. I wish I'd have told them how many times I lost. I wish I'd have shown them how to be a good loser. Gentlemen, we're wired this way, I think. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is that we've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer about us, but it's all about the one who lives. Ladies, I don't have the personal experience to be able to speak that way into your lives, but the reality is it's the same for you. I know my wife is terribly concerned with outward appearances, not in a bad way, necessarily. But I know she thinks about the way things look a lot and the way things are perceived. And she thinks that it reflects on her when things don't go well. Ladies, I would challenge you in this that it's not about you. That you've been crucified with Christ and it is no longer you who live but Christ who lives in you. And the one who lives in you is the standard. Not you. You're not carrying that weight. It's Christ. Today as we think about this truth, the gospel is very real deliverance from these kinds of things. Expectations, intentions, opinions, sins. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. The third thing, though, is this. The gospel is about real justification. Look what it says. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In this passage earlier, if you look in verse 17, it says, but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ meaning to have our lives made right with God. That's what the word justification means, to be balanced, right? To be declared right. If in our endeavor to be declared right in Jesus, we are found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to sin so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. So what he's talking about here is the Galatians have these Jews coming in and saying, you, in order to be made right with God, have to be circumcised and have to jump through these Jewish hoops. That's how you're made right with God. Okay, so your sins have been forgiven. But in order for you to be right with God, in order to approach God, in order for you to be able to have any standing before God, you have to do these other things. But the gospel is not about that. The gospel is complete deliverance. We have not only been delivered by Christ, but we have been made right with God. How do we know this? Because Paul says Christ lives in you. It's Christ who lives in you. You're no longer the standard. You're no longer the responsibility. You're no longer the one that, that has to go before God. Christ goes before God on your behalf. There's a real justification. 
This justification, I, I, I wrote this down, uh, I read it earlier this week, it denotes God's powerful, cosmic, universal action in affecting a change, listen to this, in the situation between sinful humanity and God. Justification is when God takes the sinful situation that you and I have and He wipes it clean so that when we stand before the holy God, it is no longer our sin that represents us, but His Son. It's a very real justification. That's a powerful thing. It's a powerful reality. In verse 16 and following, we're not made right by our works. No one is made right. It all comes from the rightness of Christ. And that's what he means. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And I grew up hearing that we're not justified by works. Anybody ever heard that? We are not justified by works. Works cannot save. You ever heard that? That's not true. I'm close to blasphemy again. Works save. If you're saved in here, it's by works. The key is what? Whose works? Right? That's the key. We're saved by Christ. He was crucified in our place. And the work that He accomplished on the cross is what you and I can claim before the Most Holy God. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. That means you and I deserve to die. It is given man wants to die and then comes the judgment and you and I stand condemned because of our sins. Even if we keep 99% of the law, but we break it on one little part, we're guilty of the entire thing. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And so we stand before the most holy God who is righteous and true and He looks at us and He has to condemn us because of our sin. We're like, how can we fix it? And He's like, you can't fix it. You're broken. Matter of fact, he says, you're dead in your trespasses and in your sins. We have to be made alive. And the only way we can do that is through Christ. And so it's Christ's work that saves us. And we need to understand this. When he says this, he says, It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. This is the powerful reality of God's justification. He makes us right with the Father. Because He is right with the Father. Think about that. Think about how simple that is. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness because He is completely righteous. The Gospel is about a real justification. This is such a glorious thing. I, I look around and I see living people. I mean, I don't see any corpses. All of us are living, breathing. We have color to our skin, most of us, and we have pulse and stuff like this. We're living. This is the picture that Paul is talking about. When Christ lives in us, it looks like something. It looks like people who are made in His image. It looks like people who are living and walking according to His truth. Christ really is alive. That's the power of the resurrection. Christ is alive. It really is His heart beats within 
us. It really is His mind. Paul says, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. We have the benefits of His power. I'm not ashamed of the Gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. We have this, not because I deserve it, not because I've earned it, not because I learned it, but because He gave it. It is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. The Gospel has to do with a real justification. He really makes it right with God. The fourth thing we have this morning is a real righteousness. A real righteousness. The Gospel is about a real righteousness. He says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. And in verse 21, he says this, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. But this is a tongue-in-cheek kind of rhetorical thing. Because the truth is the opposite. Christ did not die in vain. Righteousness comes through Christ. Righteousness is given to us as a gift from Him. Christ died for us to be righteous. Man, if there's something that's challenged me over the last two years, it's the fact that if Christ died for me to be righteous, why am I so not righteous? I mean, we think that freedom sets us free to do anything we want, but that's not the freedom that we live in. We are free in Christ, but it means that we have been given a righteousness. Not our own, but His. Our righteousness is living His life. Obeying His commands. Walking with Him. Trusting Him. Do you remember the manna in the book of Exodus? They were hungry and whining and complaining. We are going to starve to death. And what did God give them? Manna. I mean, that means what is it? So they walk out and they're like, what is it? Manna. And then He gave them the rules. Do you remember the rules for the manna? You're only to collect what you need for the next day and just trust me for the next day. That's it. Go get up in the morning. We walk out and we collect our whatever the bucket was called that we put it in, you know, and, and we go back and I give it to Amy and Amy's like, is this going to be enough? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't want to collect too much because the other day somebody collected too much and it rotted and had worms in it and stuff. So, you know. But the point of the manna as a shadow is something that you and I need to rest on this morning. The Bible says that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteous. Do you remember that? Abraham heard God's promise and instead of him trying to work it out himself, instead of him worried about how he could do anything to accomplish it, God gave him a promise. Abraham said, you know what? I don't know, but I'm going to trust you are going to do it rightly you're righteous. You're the one that's appropriate. You're the one that's going to do what's good. I'm just going to trust you. And the Bible says it was counted to him as righteousness. For us this morning, there's a challenge. In 2 Corinthians, it says this, 
For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Do you remember this verse? The reason is so that we might become the righteousness of God. The gospel has to do with a very real righteousness. It says this, And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in Jesus, in the Son of God. That's the walk that He has for us. He has provided that. The children had no food in the desert, spiritually or physically, and neither do we. This life is a very real ordeal. It's a very real danger that we would starve to death. But God has provided food for us. It comes totally from Him. God thought of it. God provided it. God controls it. And God sustains it. And this bread is our food. Jesus looked at His disciples and He said, I am the bread of life. Think about that today. The Gospel is about a very real righteousness and it only comes as Christ lives in and through us. So what do we do about this? What do we do this morning? How do we embrace this truth? How do we walk in justification and righteousness? The same way that they did when they collected the manna. We must obey. We have to obey. That's not bondage anymore. That's the reality. Christ is living in us. We have no other option but to live with Christ. That's the glory of the Gospel. It is no longer I who live, but Christ is living in me. We walk with Him. We must collect enough of Him for the day. We must actually eat Him. We must get into His Word and put it into our mouth and digest it. His righteousness is real, but it's not accidental. It's not passive. It doesn't just happen. Paul says it like this. He says, put to death the sin that is in your members and put on these other things. We always see that from Paul. Put this to death and put on this. Put off the sin and put on the righteousness. Put off the sin and the darkness and the evil and put on Christ's glory. What a big problem. What a big problem because we don't. We treat Christianity as if it's passive. As if it's just happening to us. But the glory of the Gospel is it's a we. The church is a we. The epistles were written to us. Not to you. What a glorious truth. We have to trust Him. We have to trust that tomorrow morning there will be more of everything that we needed in Christ. We have to trust that. Because so often we can't see it. So often all we can see is no heartbeat on the baby monitor. A bill that we can't pay. A van that's warning lights are all over the place again. A child who won't stop whining or grouching or abusing or bullying. All we can hear is 
can I, can I, can I, can I, can I, or whatever, and we miss the glory of the opportunity we have to walk with Christ. We have to trust Him. And the thing about the manna, and I want to close with this, they did it for 40 years. 40 years they had to do this. You and I just want to go through this suffering for a little while so we can put our little suffering badge on our little banner here and say, I suffered. But they did it for 40 years. God's plan is not momentary. As a matter of fact, God's plan is this. In this world, you will face tribulation. (gasps) Holy cow. There's no free pass here. There's no free pass. We have got to trust Him continually because the Gospel is about a real righteousness. The end of that promise is this, though. In this world you will face tribulation, but have no fear. Jesus says, I have overcome this world. One of the greatest promises that we have in the New Testament is, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. How fantastic is that? And so this morning as we close, let's rest in all that He has done. It's no longer I who live, Christ is living within me. The life I now live isn't my own, but it's Christ's. The Gospel is about a real death, about a real deliverance, about real justification. He really made us right with Him. And it's about a real righteousness. You and I have Christ in us. It's no longer we who live, but He who lives. And that is a glorious thing. And the world needs this. This is the message of the Gospel. This is what our culture needs. Let's share Him, for He is worthy. Let's pray. Good Lord Jesus, thank You for this day. Thank You for this truth. And I ask that You'd work in us to know You and to trust You. Help us, Lord, whoever it is this morning that needs to get over themselves, I ask that You'd work in their souls. Lord, that they would get over themselves, that they would confess, they would repent and trust You for Your glory's sake, for Your righteousness, for Your justification, for Your life, Lord Jesus. Help them to call on Your name. Lord, work in those of us who are believers. Lord, so often the truth is that we try to take that life back. Help us to trust You. Help us to look to You. Help us to no longer be in bondage. But help us to live by faith in You and in Your work. In Christ's name, amen.